Hi, and welcome to the increasingly inaccurately named Five Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Updegrove. Today's episode is an introduction to dark Jamaican rum, and in particular, Karuba dark Jamaican rum. Uh, mixed with that rum is talk about passion fruit syrup and a great use for both of those things, the Trader Vic's Grog. Dark Jamaican rum. So dark, dark rums are distinguished naturally by their color compared to amber or silver rums. Uh, typically, you'll see them as a dark brown or even a black color. Other common characteristics of dark rums are a heavy molasses element, a certain sweetness when you smell or taste them, um, and they can also taste harsh when they're sipped neat. Uh, dark rum is a English-style rum. We talked about styles in the last couple of episodes. Uh, this is an English-style being from an, a predominantly English-speaking uh, region of the Caribbean. Um, dark rum is commonly from Jamaica and, and has a very strong molasses underpinning. Uh, it's also, because it's a Jamaican rum, not uncommon for it to be distilled in both pot and column distills, uh, sort of a combination of those both. You don't exclusively use pot stills, but it gives the pot still gives it a little bit more uh, character than just doing a column stilled rum. Um, a dark rum is also often made in a Solera style to ensure consistency of blends. Um, sort of mentioned Solera in passing in episode two. Uh, but Solera is a, a way of gradually blending aged liquids like rum or other spirits that increases the average age of rum over time. Uh, Solera literally refers to the set of barrels used in that process. Um, so in each Solera or each container in that set um, has a rum of gradually increasing age. So part of each container is moved from barrel to barrel from youngest to oldest and eventually bottled once the desired age is reached. And because only part of the rum is transferred from barrel to barrel, there's an overall consistency to the rum as it ages. Uh, for even more detail, including math on how that aging process works, um, I'll add a, a link to the Wikipedia entry on Solera in the show notes. So getting back to the dark Jamaican style rum itself, uh, coloration, the dark coloration is achieved both naturally by aging it in charred oak barrels, uh, as well as having that molasses base um, as, and not actually filtering it like, uh, like a silver Puerto Rican rum is is also aged in a barrel, but then is filtered to remove the color. You don't get that, you won't have it filtered with a dark Jamaican rum. Um, and also the coloration is added in unnatural ways, such as the addition of coloring agents or a caramel color, things like that to make it an even darker the color than it would come out from the barrel. Um, dark Jamaican rum is a very common ingredient in tiki cocktails and punches. Uh, certainly something you wanna stock in any home bar that will be mixing a planter's punch or other tiki cocktails. Uh, along with a gold Puerto Rican rum and a silver Puerto Rican rum, dark Jamaican rum is probably the third most important that you can have uh, to mix in combinations um, for some classic tiki recipes. Uh, the most common dark Jamaican rum that you'll find is Myers. Um, other dark rums, uh, and these are not just Jamaican rums, would include Karuba, which we'll talk about in a little bit, Cruzon Blackstrap, uh, Gosling's Black Seal, and Whaler's Rum. My preference when it comes to dark Jamaican rum is Karuba. Um, in the area I live in, distribution is generally pretty good, although I won't find it in every liquor store I go to. Uh, you almost will never find it around where I live in a grocery store, but there's well-stocked grocery stores in Southern California, or sorry, well-stocked liquor stores in Southern California where it's not too hard to find Karuba. Um, if Karuba isn't available in your area, Myers is probably your next available option. Um, that's the big one that you'd see in, in most bars. Uh, if you're going to use dark Jamaican rum in a cocktail with numerous ingredients and you're not actually featuring the rum itself, you could also try Whaler's rum. Um, like if you're making a rum barrel and it's three quarters of gold rum, three quarters silver, three quarter ounce gold rum, three quarter ounce silver rum, three quarter ounce dark Jamaican rum, etc. Um, you're kind of 
while it's important to achieve a blend and you want to blend all those ingredients into something larger than the sum of its parts, you're probably okay using something uh, like a Myers or a Whalers and it's not going to torpedo the whole cocktail. Um, I generally don't substitute in a gold Jamaican rum like Appleton VX or Smith & Cross when a recipe calls for dark Jamaican. Smith & Cross is an uh, example of an excellent Jamaican rum and it's one of my favorites, uh, which we'll cover in another show, but it is more of a gold than a dark Jamaican rum and the flavor profile is a little bit different. So Karuba Dark Jamaican Rum. Uh, distilled by the J. Ray and Nephew Company in Jamaica. Uh, the distribution rights to the Caruba brand, along with Appleton and Ray and Nephew brands, were recently acquired by the Campari, Campari America Corporation. Not really relevant to the rum itself, except I hope that the better distribution will end up with the rum remaining the same and yet more on more shelves out in the stores and a little bit easier to find. Caruba Company also makes a line of flavored rums, uh, which is flavored rum is a whole other topic that we'll cover eventually. Um, but here we're talking just about the dark Jamaican rum. Caruba on their website describes their rum as both aged and caramel color added. Uh, they also describe it as quote unquote robust and having hints of spices. Uh, and they also note molasses, cocoa, and caramel flavors. Um, noted that it is very heavily caramel colored, um, very dark in the bottle, not quite like a black strap or um, Gosling's black seal, but it is pretty dark in the bottle. Uh, it's bottled at 80 proof or 40% alcohol by volume. Um, I find it to be a really, really useful rum. Uh, it's a standard of my bar. I use it in many cocktails, and it's very affordable. You can usually find a uh, – actually, it's sold surprisingly in a liter bottle, and very, uh, very often unlike a lot of spirits. And a liter bottle is usually about $16, $17 a bottle, which is a really good price. Um, normal disclaimer on how I taste rums. Um, I'm just trying to be consistent from episode to episode and speak in general terms so that you can bounce an opinion off of mine. Um, I'm not tasting, you know, real deep into specialty notes and things like that. Um, so the rum itself, uh, in a glass, very dark brown in the glass, like I said, not black. Uh, the aroma is pretty heavy molasses, pretty heavy sugar, maybe vanilla. Um, although to me that's very faint, especially compared to like spiced rums where you're really bowled over by that vanilla or other spices. And there's no real burn on the nose. It seems very mellow. Tasting it uh, a little bit on the harsh edge um, where aged rums have that edge filed down by being the barrel longer. This one uh, still has a little bit of it present, um, but it, it does taste aged. It's got a little bit of that wood flavor. Has a full flavor, doesn't taste nearly as sugary as it smells. Um, and I, again, I don't get a lot of the spice uh, and what was mentioned on the site um, because primarily because it's probably a fraction of what you get in your common spice drum. On the finish, it's a pretty light finish, almost no burn. It lingers a little bit in the throat. Uh, so overall, I find it kind of similar to the Don Q Crystal that we talked about in episode two in that it's a rum that's you know really well suited for mixing. And while you could drink it neat, there's probably better choices of darker aged rum for sipping. Um, I do enjoy mixing with this rum, and I do it very often. So speaking of mixing with rum, uh, we're going to talk about another common ingredient, and it's something that's going to be used later on in the recipe for this episode, and that's passion fruit syrup. Um, in episode two, we talked a little bit about simple syrup, uh, which you know really lived up to its name, very easy to make, very easy to have on hand. Um, and then you get to something like passion fruit syrup, which on the surface sounds much more exotic, uh, but really is almost the same concept with a very simple addition of, of naturally passion fruit. So there's a couple different ways you can approach passion fruit syrup when you see it as an ingredient. Uh, you can make it from scratch, and there are alternatives where you could actually buy it. Um, as far as 
buying it, I would only recommend a handful of brands um, and we'll put notes to them in the show notes. But BG Reynolds, uh, who's based out of Portland, uh, makes a really good passion fruit syrup along with other tiki based syrups. Uh, Monin's passion fruit syrup is pretty good. And the probably the only product I would recommend from Finest Call, which is their passion fruit, passion fruit puree, which is actually uh, one of their one of the better products that they put out. Um, probably, like I said, the only one that I would recommend. Um, if you can make fresh passion fruit syrup, I'd recommend it. The problem I have when trying to make it is not really the process of making it, but actually where to buy passion fruit fresh. Um, even though it's grown in, I'm I'm in California and I know it's grown here um, in a lot of different places. It's surprisingly hard to find, probably because not a lot of people use it as, as an ingredient. Um, so you can't really find it in a local supermarket. Um, looking at farmers markets uh, has worked out much better for me. I can find it consistently at a local farmers market. Um, depending on what region you're located in, you may have good luck or bad luck finding it. But my recommendation would be is if you're looking for fresh passion fruit, try farmers markets. You're probably going to find it there. Um, again, going back to alternatives, if you don't want to, if you want to make it from scratch, but you don't want to buy a bottle of it, like say from the Monin or, or BG Reynolds, um, the alternative to fresh passion fruit would be to go into uh, Vallarta or another like Hispanic supermarket and look for Goya, G-O-Y-A, um, passion fruit puree, which is usually bagged and sold frozen. And if you mix that with equal parts sugar, uh, you can make um, a passion fruit syrup that's pretty serviceable. Not as good as fresh, but not too bad. Um, so making passion fruit syrup, uh, once you've made it, I'm going to skip ahead to bottling it and then go back to the recipe. But bottling it is the same as making simple syrup. Um, I would use the same bottle, the olive oil type bottle with the nozzle on top. Um, bottle it inside there once it's cooled and add silver rum to it as a stabilizer. Um, and again, I would, I would recommend making your own if possible. Uh, the recipe I'm going to give you, um, can also be found in a blog post that I will link, uh, in the show notes from the blog, a mountain of crushed ice, which is a blog written by Helena Tiare Olson. And I hope I didn't mispronounce her name. Uh, but she's a fairly prolific cocktail blogger. Um, I believe she's based in Sweden, writes a lot of articles on tiki cocktails, rums, and does a lot of home syrup mixing. Uh, so her recipe is the one that I use to start making my own passion fruit syrup. And it's very, very simple. It's essentially simple syrup. Uh, so a one-to-one or a one-to-two uh, sugar-to-water mixture um, heated over low heat. And then just taking three or four passion fruits, cutting them in half, scooping out the insides, and then adding that to the sugar syrup just as it begins to bubble, uh, letting it sort of simmer for about five minutes then turn it off the heat, but leave the passion fruit inside the syrup and let it sort of steep for an hour and a half to two hours. And then once it's completely cooled and had a chance to integrate, um, go and strain that through like a fine mesh strainer so that you get the syrup out, but the seeds get left behind. And then you can take that syrup, bottle it, and add the silver rum as the stabilizer. So again, I'll, I'll put pictures and, and links to the recipe in the show notes, but I would recommend if you have the if you have access to fresh passion fruit, seek it out and make it. Um, because while you can find the bottled ones and they work well, uh, you get a much better taste out of making it from scratch, as you might imagine. It's also worth mentioning when it comes to picking up fresh passion fruit that when it first falls from the from the tree or from the vine, the skin is really pulled tight and taut. And then as it ripens, it gets gradually more and more wrinkled. Uh, so although it sounds counterintuitive, the ones you want that are the you know ripest and most ready to use and probably going to taste the best are the ones that are the most wrinkled. 
Uh, you want to get to them before they start to grow anything on their skin, but you do want the ones that are wrinkled. Those are for best results. So today's cocktail is the Trader Vic's Grog. Um, yep, it's that Trader Vic, the one from the restaurants. Um, much more to come on Trader Vic and, and his other array of cocktails in future episodes. Uh, this recipe I've pulled from Beach Bumberry Remixed, which I'll link to in the show notes and was also linked in episode one. It can also be found in a Trader Vic specific book, Trader Vic's Tiki Party, which is also available on Amazon, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, this recipe uses a couple of things that we already talked about. As I mentioned, it uses uh, passion fruit syrup and dark Jamaican rum. It also is going to call for a couple of juices, fresh lemon juice, um, which again, I don't want to go off on too much of a rant there, but squeeze this ju- lemon juice fresh. Do not use it from a jar. Um, it's also going to call for pineapple juice. Um, in, when it comes to pineapple juice, using a can of Dole is okay as long as it's the unsweetened juice. Um, it's pretty difficult and labor intensive to juice a pineapple and you end up with much more than you're going to use. So it's not as practical to fresh squeeze a pineapple, but luckily Dole makes a really good juice. So the recipe itself is one ounce of fresh lemon juice, one ounce of unsweetened pineapple juice, one ounce of passion fruit syrup, two ounces of dark Jamaican rum, and a dash of Angostura bitters. Uh, place all those ingredients into a cocktail shaker with either crushed ice or ice cubes. Uh, shake it and then pour it unstrained into a double old fashioned glass. I believe the recipe itself in Beach Bumberry Remix says a tulip glass, but a double old fashioned glass, as pictured in the show notes, actually works really well here. Uh, that's the same glass you would find. Kind of like it's also called a rocks glass. You'd uh, get a Mai Tai in that. A uh, picture of it will be in the show notes again so that you can get an idea of what that is. Uh, garnish it with a mint sprig. Uh, maybe if you have uh, some leftover pineapple, a maraschino cherry uh, stuck to a pineapple uh, would also be a good garnish on that drink. So that's it for this episode. Next time we're going to talk about a micro distilled rum, House Spirits Amber Rum from up in uh, Portland, Oregon. Thank you very much for listening. Show links are up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website. That's number 5 minutesofrum.com. The show is also now on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, rate the show there on iTunes, even leave a review if you desire. Uh, the show is also on Twitter as at five minutes of rum. So that's at symbol number five minutes of rum. Uh, please send in comments, corrections, requests for future episodes, or any other feedback that you have via either the five minutes of rum website or there on Twitter. And now go get some rum. <laughs>